Yo, 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 this is Brad Rickle. Welcome to the Brad Rickle Brief. On today's episode, I am excited to talk about making decisions. It's weird, right? Because the name of the podcast is not asking the waiter for their favorite thing on the menu, but they're aligned. My buddy Gary and I were were talking this out the other day, and it's around the notion of why we ask other people for their opinions when we're all so different. And I think the answer is we're this social tribal creature. And not only do we want to act, but I think we prefer to act in such a manner that's perceived well by the group, whatever the definition of group is for, for us individually. And that makes sense about why we're, we're coded like that. We don't want to be these anarchists just burning the system down with our decisions, but most of our decisions are not that serious. And I know I'm guilty of this. I really think hard on a lot of my decisions and I think about the impacts and seek out advice and probably mostly I'm looking for validation and my thought recently has been that the the validation portion is important I don't believe it serves anyone well to act selfishly but the validation metric is is only to the extent of people that truly matter in your life and that's the interesting part that I want to expand on so getting back to this waiter scenario As a seasoned waiter in my life, it goes something similar to this. A group sits down at the table. Maybe they have been there before and maybe they haven't, but it's a nice place. Nice enough where there's not going to be pictures alongside the menu and the description. And if you haven't been to a restaurant lately, which I don't think most of us have, uh, if you're not going to a restaurant that doesn't have pictures in the menu, you should do yourself a favor maybe go out to eat less and spend a couple dollars more when you do go to eat and go to places that don't have pictures on the menu. Ditch the kids, get a sitter, go out someplace different, upgrade it just a little bit. So I digress. And this would happen to me a few times of the week. Someone at the group would be talking to me and they would ask, hey, so what do you like? Or what's good on the menu? Or what do you recommend? And we would normally be fed certain things to say in those scenarios, but the intent and all those phrases are essentially the same. And the intent was always the same. And without thinking too much about it at first, this can be viewed as a very trusting exercise for everyone involved. The person ordering the food is looking to be steered in a good direction. And I, as the waiter, the server, whatever you want to call us nowadays, am putting my reputation to some degree on the line. And if all things go well, It's going to benefit the relationship, and usually a good relationship for the waiter means a bigger tip. That's a pretty direct correlation, so I play it safe. If they look like they can afford it, and I think stereotypes definitely come into play, if they look like they can afford it, you steer them towards more expensive items on the menu, usually a steak of some order, and if I was picking up the vibe that they didn't want to shell out 40 bucks for a steak, you know, I would probably steer them away. I would, I would throw the old trust exercise in for saying like, hey, the, the filet was popular, but it was overrated and you're better off going with the second most expensive piece of meat on the menu. And mind you, these were not things that I actually thought were good on the menu because I really never ate at the restaurants I worked at because I was working there. I couldn't afford to eat at the restaurants for crying out loud. That's why I was working there. I would eat the breadsticks for free between tables, drink water, 
maybe have a soda on occasion. I don't know. Just that's what I did. But this strategy was safe for me because so much is riding on them enjoying their meal. But what the person at the table is actually asking is what I think is good on the menu. And isn't that an interesting concept? Putting the trust of something into somebody else's hands. What if, for instance, the table, the person asking for my recommendation, love oysters, but maybe me, the waiter, maybe I'm allergic to to shellfish. I'm not, but let's just say it for a second. Their evening might be better served had they gone with their gut instinct and not asked me what I wanted because I never eat oysters because I'm allergic to them. And that is the weird part about this thing people do at restaurants. People have no clue about the life of the waiter or the waitress that's serving their table. And you really don't want to go into a long, in-depth discussion leading up into what you're going to order. Sure, there are, there are stereotypes, there's heuristics that can be used to get to conclusions a little bit quicker. But unless the two parties are willing to sit down for a long period of time, like you might want to order a couple bottles and really get into a conversation Learn the waiter's life before you ask them what they think is good on the menu or not. And I know how many people have missed out on a better meal when I was their server because they looked for my opinion when they came in. But I'm guessing it was it was probably a fair amount. I had no clue the taste of anybody that was asking me what I thought was good on the menu. A waiter doesn't know what you like or you don't like. They don't know your food history, any potential allergies. And they don't know if you if you like acidity, salt, butter. Maybe you just had a heart attack and you're trying to cut down on, on salt and butter. Or if you stay awake at night thinking about your mortgage payment most nights. So while you want to treat your wife out to a nice evening out, you don't want the bill to run up to $400 because you're already stressed about it financially. The server has no clue about any of these things. And yet we ask. Now, this is just a simple example And even talking to you about this, that's not to say that I don't do it. I do. When I go out to new restaurants, I will still ask waiters what he or she prefers. And I'm going to get to that more later. But we ask because we're looking to maximize our experience and view the waiter to be some sort of knowledge keeper when in fact they don't know what you're actually trying to accomplish. So they're ill-suited to answer the question. But it is dinner. And it's low stakes. So I think we can absorb this practice without the consequences being too severe. Short of food poisoning or allergic reactions. But I do this more often and I feel that more people do it more often than simply asking their waiter for recommendations. We ask people to manage our money. Even though they don't truly know what it feels like for us to see the market and the portfolio go down by 30-40% in two months. They don't experience our anxiety, and yet we ask them to take our money, and we don't ask them to take the risk or our anxiety or any of the repercussions of what happens if all the money's lost. And we do this outsourcing and asking for advice, opinions, and validation in a lot of ways every single day. I can say that most things I do, I usually filter through at least one other person before the decision is made. But why? And I think there's a lot of reasons. I mentioned before being social creatures, we believe that if others validate the opinion, it deleverages the risk in some of the way. The perceived safety is nice to have, but when it comes to making important decisions and the potential risks increase, 
I, for one, usually scale up the amount of the validation that I need before making a decision. It's almost linear in scale. Going to a restaurant where all I risk is a, is a bad meal that might not taste that good to me, I could even send it back to the kitchen and, and get something else in all reality. So the risks are really low looking at it from that perspective. I may only ask the table or the waiter what they like or what they're ordering, but on something big, maybe say like a career change, I don't think it would be be atypical to consult a dozen or more people to see if you're in the right direction or not. And this gets into the meat of the topic a little more. The more perceived risk, the more validation we're looking for, because if it goes wrong, there seemingly is some comfort in, well, everyone thought that it was good to work out. But the reality is you and maybe some other selected few individuals actually live with the consequences. And we can go down the path of chaos theory and say that, well, Brad, you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings in India, it's going to cause a hurricane in the Outer Banks. But I don't think that's really useful for, for reality. That might make for some interesting conversations for something, but it's not going to help us in our day-to-day lives. So yes, a lot of people deal with the consequences, but once you find out who actually knows you and what you're trying to accomplish, most other perspectives are not as valid. So let's stay with the concrete in our reality. You know, recently I had to make a difficult decision regarding work. There's this pandemic going on and the results are schools are closing, childcare is closing, Brett's summer camp, Triple C, which he was on this podcast talking about how much he liked that summer camp and couldn't wait to go. That's canceled for the summer. Thankfully, Mallory and I's work has continued and I am very grateful and appreciative for the continuity of our income. But all of a sudden, there's this time crunch in our lives that we haven't experienced yet to date. So I started looking at options. Mallory's continuing with her work and still working on her PhD with an expected completion, well, let's just say four to five months. And she needs time for that. That's important. I'm working a full-time job and I need time for that. That's important. Brett doesn't have school but he needs to continue his education moving into sixth grade. So he needs time for homeschooling. That's important. And then there's Bodhi. He's a new baby. He needs time. His development is important. So there are all these things happening and something needs to give. There's simply just not enough time in the day. So Mallory and I, we tried our best to do it right away. And, you know, of all the things in our lives, you know, I think it was we were just sleeping less and exercising less, and eating worse. And when I say that, we were just ordering out more to make time for these additional things because we thought that it's only going to last two or three months. We didn't plan on it to last six months or maybe through the rest of this year, but it looks like it's going that way. You know, summer camp is canceled, and Bodhi's childcare, like he was supposed to go into bright beginnings last week, the week before, and that's canceled. And I understand it. Places that are watching kids are probably going to be really careful about opening up because I have to imagine if I own a business that involves kids and an outbreak occurs at my place of business or, you know, God forbid, like a kid dies because of COVID and it's linked back to your place, that's it. There's an absorption layer there. Nobody's going to trust their kid with you forever in the future. So if it means staying closed for an extra couple months for triple C, like I'm hoping that they open up next summer, I have no clue about their financial situation, but it seems like the smart play if they can float it. 
Like, why would you risk your business permanently just to open up a month early? So now we're thinking about setting up a more semi-permanent operation and solution here at the household. The easy answers come first. Like, I think we can tear it off. Brett needs his education. Bodhi needs a body on him. And we're not going to compromise with either one of their futures. So then it just comes down to Mallory and I. My work brings in a good income. And I've been doing it for a while now. Mallory enjoys her job. And they've treated her very well. She sees her being with them for the rest of her career. She enjoys it that much. And this final push to the PhD is important. I do think the equation goes, the longer it takes to get a PhD or a degree, I imagine the less likely one is to obtain it. I know I'm really thankful that I graduated college in four years because I think if it would have took me five, I probably never would have got the degree. And I think a lot of people are like that. That's the old Tommy boy line, right? Just like, bah, a lot of people go to college for seven years. Yeah, I know. They're called doctors. Like, you really need to stay on track. And so I think time being of the essence is very applicable for Mallory's situation. Time is so valuable right now because she's so close to getting it. So now Mallory and I both have her jobs. So that's a wash. But she needs time for her PhD. So it makes the most sense for me to use the FMLA policy that the government set up for the COVID response. With the additional work with our kids and work around the house, the most value lays in supporting her and getting her PhD. And that's the logical choice, but it doesn't mean it's the easy choice. We are settling on this decision and my mind's running towards risk aversion and going through the decision tree and all the ways stepping away from, from my job temporarily could turn out to be a terrible decision, and it's scary as hell. So I'm talking with Mallory about it, running over and over and over again the decisions, talking with my parents, calling my brothers, talking with my friends about this decision, and the potential consequences. That's what I'm saying. Like The perceivable risk increases in the more validation I'm looking for. It's like asking the waiter what they like on the menu. And I'm talking with all these people because I want validation, I want reassurance that it's the right thing to do. And I appreciate asking my friends about it, But the reality is, when it comes down to it, when Mallory and I make the decision about what's best for our family, then it really only goes to understanding the impacts of this decision affecting those that I want to continue long-term relationships with. To say that another way, this decision, like all decisions, it's good to start with me. I need to do something that I'm comfortable with because if I'm not comfortable with it, then it's going to be self-sabotage and blaming other people if things don't go wrong. So first and foremost, it needs to resonate with me. I need to work through it and I need to come to a logical conclusion. Then Mallory and I need to be on the same page because our lives are moving forward together. Our support for each other is the same as supporting ourselves. There is no decoupling our own best interests and our interests in each other. It's the same. We're moving towards the same direction. You know, and finally, after I look outward, I see the opinions of those people that I have long-term vested interest in, right? So it's me first, then it's Mallory and I making sure we're on the same page. And there are select individuals who I want to have long-term relationships with. And I make sure to see that there's no negative impacts on them that I'm not considering. People who I want to work with and pursue things with in the future and just making sure that This makes sense from their perspective as well. After that, the returns of asking other people their perspective on the matter are so far diminished, it's not worth the time expended to even ask. 
And that might seem a little harsh, but I think the reality is it just, it settles to a really nice place that there's only a few people that you really need to run things through. It's a small list. So if you think about this in the restaurant example, the decision should be to understand for yourself what you want to eat. You enjoy the food with your understanding of how the meal is going to affect you. That's going to matter the most. You know, eating something that negatively affects you, let's just say it gives you the runs. How does that help anybody else to order that thing, even if somebody else outside of you is recommending it? So after understanding what you want, it is appropriate. Gauge the interest of the rest of the group. Who else is at the table? Do they want to share appetizers? Do they want to share entrees? Finally, you can still ask the waiter about what they like. That's totally appropriate. What the waiter has to share might have some value. It likely won't, but it might. It doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't mean you can't ask, but a better way to understand it is when you ask the question, you understand they are not looking at it through your perspective and your desired end state. And that's really important here. You have a lifetime of information that makes up who you are, and you are the only one that knows what goes into that. Every good decision you've ever made, every bad decision you ever made, every, every class that you enjoyed in college or every conversation with a good friend that you've had that just kind of stayed with you, all of that goes into it. If you were lucky enough to have a partner in your life that understands Sonder and can see the world through your position, count yourself lucky because that gives you two very qualified opinions then. And that's where my thoughts kind of settled on this. Our decisions only need input from a select few people. It starts with you, and then it's important to know who you can reach out to that understands you and what you're truly trying to achieve. Everyone outside of that needs context of who you are and what you're trying to achieve with the question itself. Otherwise, they will answer it from their perspective and their life experience. I don't need to tell Mallory what I'm trying to accomplish taking FMLA. She already knows because we're trying to accomplish the same thing. I can't just ask my friends or my dad in this instance for their thoughts on the subject without layered context of a desired end state because otherwise their answers are going to be given through their perspective, which is likely not the same as mine. So it's better for me to ask my dad for his opinion on FMLA but set it up not with a financial perspective in mind, but on how he approached it when he supported mom, when she went back to get her RN. He had the financial burden with the additional stuff around the house regarding us kids like Eric, Kevin, and I. It made for a more productive conversation because he better understood that I wasn't talking about clipping coupons and doing other financial-related matters that that part was already considered and it's not important for this discussion. But what was important was how a man supported their family in a non-conventional way. And that's something that he had a ton of experience on and a lot of good input. And that is what's needed more in life for most of these decisions. Internal first, then those who know you and what you're trying to accomplish, ideally, they have the same interest as well. And then everyone outside of that small circle, they're going to need context and understanding when they ask you the question. Otherwise, they can't properly answer it. Don't ask the waiter what their favorite is, but rather ask them that you want beef paired with a nice pinot and you're considering the ribeye or the sirloin and if they have any input in that. Everyone's served better that way. 
I count myself very lucky because I have the support of Mallory and her and I's relationship is set up in such a way that we get two decisions that's good for us as a group. If the situation was reversed and she needed FMLA to help me accomplish a PhD, she would. And outsiders would have looked at that decision as totally logical. But me taking time off to support my family just usually isn't the way we do things in America. So I needed the context for people to understand what was trying to be accomplished. Outside of this, there are people that I want to work with long term. And I was concerned about their opinion and thankfully their support was there as well. Naval talks a lot about this and distills it down to a simple phrase of playing long-term gains with long-term people. Adding that I think how you get to long-term games with long-term people is understanding who those long-term people that you have in your life are. The answer is not going to be but a few people at most for any one decision. It is interesting to view it that way and uncouple the validation part from the decision-making part and you end up getting a better result. That is it, folks. Very appropriate topic for me to be discussing as we recently chose to use FMLA to support my family during this pandemic. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast. Music, as always, is provided by James Spensley. That dude knows how to shred. Stay positive, stay healthy. See you later. I'm out.